Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about me, Danny Moran. I'm a simpleton bachelor, inherits a bucktooth horse named Sam Foster, as well as one half of a stockbrokerage firm after my mother dies. I discover Sam is a talking horse, who can also speak the languages of several other animals, but this doesn't faze me. My stepfather, Walter, offers to buy out my share of the business for a paltry sum, but I refuse. Instead, I return Sam to his talking horse family in the countryside and claim my place as partner at the firm, much to Walter's annoyance. Meanwhile, Sam overhears a stock tip and calls me. Don't know how he does that. I act on his investment advice and become wealthy overnight. I then rent a fancy penthouse apartment and buy a sports car. Sam returns to the city, and after feigning illness, I feel sorry for him and let him move into my apartment. Then Sam's father dies, but not before impressing upon him the importance of producing an heir to the chosen line of talking horses. Conveniently, Sam meets a beautiful white horse named Satandor at the stables and develops a crush on her. However, inconveniently, Satandor was the recent gift from Walter to his mistress. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 1988 classic comedy Hot to Trot. It is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a fast-talking thoroughbred with an unparalleled business know-how, Sam Foster. Bizarre. This week, Warner Brothers is trying to build the DC Cinematic Universe, but its Megabucks flagships keep foundering on the rocks of critical opinion. The latest effort, Suicide Squad, an ensemble adventure about a bunch of supervillains turned anti-heroes, has been mauled by most critics, but Danny and I are famous for our independent thinking and idiosyncratic opinions. Even so, we thought it was garbage. Danny also went to see Stanley Kubrick's classic period drama Barry Lyndon, which has returned to cinemas. Some scenes in the film were famously shot by candlelight, and in tribute to that remarkable level of period authenticity, Danny will be using uh, 18th century recording equipment for his review. This is a kind of a hollowed out beehive filled with peat, covered in copper tubing and dials, and you have to kind of shout into an inflated canvas bag hanging from the bottom. Works surprisingly well, but it only exports in 32 kilobyte MP3s, so apologies for the dip in quality. We'll also be discussing the next progressive gender swap remake set to enrage the bros, the next testosterone-fueled remake to reassure the bros, and the beef breaking out between the bros on the set of Fast and Furious 8. All that should leave just enough time for me to rate every Hollywood actor's pet, alive or dead, from James Cagney's pug hot mix. (laughs) 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 I'm on tenderhooks here from hot mix. (laughs) I read this while I was like, (laughs) I was just (laughs) paying no attention to what I was doing. (laughs) 
I was just talking to you. <laughs> and that came out so bizarre. <laughs> Let me say that. Let me try to say that again. All that should leave just enough time for me to rate every Hollywood actor's pet, alive or dead. From <laughs> from James Cagney's pug. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why I find this so stupid? <laughs> funny, really funny. All that should leave just enough time for me to rate every Hollywood actor's pet, alive or dead. <laughs> from James Cagney's pug. <laughs> oh God. This is great. This should all make the cut. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Alive or dead from James Cagney's pug hot mix to Kim Cattrall's pet gopher bog <laughs> to Kim Cattrall's pet gopher Bong Joon Ho, named after the Korean director. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I'm sorry. Great. I'm sorry. Shouldn't shouldn't have laughed that much. Just one item of correspondence this week. Here it is. Dear Film Chat, You have most certainly received enough acclaim and success throughout the world to make this note quite unnecessary. But for whatever it's worth, I should like to add my praise and gratitude as a fellow podcaster for the unearthly and brilliant contribution you have made to the world by your podcasts. I have never been in Sweden and have have therefore never had the pleasure of listening to your theatre work. This guy seems a bit confused. (laughs) Don't know what that 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 bit in um, brackets is about. Your vision of life has moved me deeply, much more deeply than I have ever been moved by any other podcasts. I believe you are the greatest podcaster at work today. Beyond that, allow me to say you are unsurpassed by anyone in the creation of mood and atmosphere, the subtlety of performance, the avoidance of the obvious, the truthfulness and completeness of characterization. To this, one must also add everything else that goes into the making of a podcast. I believe you are blessed with wonderful hosts. Sam Foster and Danny Moran live vividly in the memory, and there are many others in your podcasting histories whose names escape me. I wish you and all of them the very best of luck, and I shall look forward with eagerness to each of your next episodes. Best regards, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't know Kubrick was listening. Yeah. I mean, it's been dead for like, what, 17 years? but Yeah. Well, that's what we're told, isn't it? By, um... The, the powers that be, the yeah. media. Yeah, he's living on the moon somewhere. Yeah, he's probably living in room 237. Um, yeah. Or whatever. So, oh, wait, sorry. Oh, shit. I think we've been um, we've been duped. Oh, what? He was actually writing that to Emar Bergman. He's also dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> a dead. There's a dead man's letter to another dead man. Yeah, but he wasn't writing about Bergman's podcasts. Oh. He was writing about... Bergman's movies and I think we've been sent a false 
piece of correspondence by Prankster. I Damn James, you, Prankster! <laughs> I think James Andrews is responsible. Yeah. Thanks a lot, James. James was hounding me about the lateness of the episodes recently. He sent me an episode. He sent me a message that just consisted of a link to um, a, a YouTube video of the end by the doors. Yeah. I was like, is that... I'm not sure to make of it. You know what? Was he like, I'm on the verge of the end? You know what, James? If you want to help the podcast, write in. Write in, James. Give, give something for us to say. And not just like made up letters that turn out to be from Kubrick. <laughs> okay. Real, real shit. Real searing discourse. Yeah. Well, I did have a brief conversation with him about uh, the 25th anniversary of Hook. This week? Yeah. And what, what uh, did you discuss? Well, entertainment weekly or similar magazine reunited all the lost boys from hook 25 years ago and now they're all grown men and sure. some of them are a bit fat and some of them uh just old and have beards and stuff and it's like the Does lost boys remember are lost who, men who, they, who those are well me and jay i mean well i remember years ago we discussed how much we liked the movie hook yeah rufio kind of considered to be fat. spielberg's worst movie right normally yeah it's it's that's a weird thing because I'm, as a kid i watched it and i was like this is brilliant flying and stuff I still think I would, I would stick up for it. I think it's got some moves. It's got some moves. Is it better than um, I don't know War of the Worlds? I'm trying to think of what, what bad Spielberg is. What um, the contender is for a bad Spielberg movie? I don't know about in comparison to his other films, but I think it's the best uh, Peter Pan movie. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of the ways it like updates itself is really smart. Like, uh, Hook has an existential crisis where he's constantly on the verge of committing suicide because he's so bored. Right, yeah. That's and nice. stuff like that. And have any of the Lost Boys gone on to do anything of note? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just reappear in this entertainment weekly double spread. Yeah. Yeah. The fat uh, kid is still fat. And it used to be cute, but now it's like, you, it's like, you need to lose some weight, man. buddy. you gotta <laughs> you got to drop some pounds. you got to sort yourself out. As you're, gonna, you're heading to an early grave, my friend. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, thanks, Danny. That wasn't really correspondence, but um, you sort of generated something out of nothing there. That was good. That was very professional. Yeah. That's why you've got a history in this business. I mean, out of the future. That's what I meant to say. Ex Nilo. That's yeah. me. That's what they call me on the forums. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm saying. Let's okay. just move on. Let's move on from that now. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. So news time. First bit of news. Scarface. You seen that film, Sam? Scarface. I have seen. Well, I've seen the um, Brian De Palma Scarface, which itself is a remake of a Howard Hawks movie. Yeah, I haven't seen a Howard Hawks one. Um, I guess it's kind of interesting. Um, remake property where both the original and the remake are both quite well considered and have sort of, you know, endured in pop culture. Yeah. And obviously, they've remade, remade it once, so and that worked out great. So, obviously, they'll remake it again. It's going to be even better. So, that's what they're planning to do. Um, it's been in development for a few years now with directors like David Yates, of Harry Potter fame, and uh, Pablo Lorraine, who did that Chilean drama, No, have been attached at various points. But now, Deadline are reporting that Antoine Fuqua, who directed Training Day and The Equalizer and the upcoming Magnificent Seven um, remake, is in negotiations for the gig. And people aren't really sure what form it will take. Obviously, the original is about uh, Mexican kingpin and, you know, drugs and 
cocaine and shooting people and broads. And uh, but the latest draft comes from Jonathan Herman, who wrote Straight Outta Compton, and will be saying contemporary Los Angeles. Contemporary so, Los Angeles. So okay. they've updated it. I guess it will still be a Mexican. Maybe he has to get over the wall or something. I mean, is the, is the Howard Hawks movie about Al Capone? Because Scarface was the nickname of Al Capone. This is when we're really revealing uh-oh. our sort of uh oh lack don't of research for, the, for a news item. Uh oh, we don't actually. We've already seen six films between us. No one <laughs> knows that. <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about. We just make it up every week. We don't go to the cinema. We just read other reviews. We've and seen fewer just... films of Michael Owen put together. If if that's the case, then it means that the Brian De Palma one was already a sort of interesting update and take on the material. Exactly. Which is presumably just the general idea of a you know rise and fall. Of a, of a Plas- gangster classic. comes from nothing, then he gets overwhelmed by his own hubris, kind of thing. Well, this is the classic. The American narrative is the immigrant story, the self-made man, yeah. and the gangster is uh, genre is like the sort of dark reflection of that. Yeah, where it's like people who come from nothing, but they become something by doing bad things. But then the bad things catch up with them, and you know they're punished. There's a really good Wikipedia article on pre Hayes Code Hollywood. Um, which I recommend everyone looking up in like, you know, the 1920s and early 30s. One of the, they sort of, it takes you through by genre and all these different kinds of movies that were really popular. One of the genres that really took off was the gangster movie because before the Hayes Code kicked in, they um, these kind of salacious pictures were um, very successful and people were flocking to see them because they were violent and everything like that. And one of the sort of defenses of the gangster movie when the sort of moralizing kick like started to kick in is that it has to show you know justice being done yeah and i think that's part of the reason why they you know they take this tack is that um it's your excuse for showing all this horrible violence earlier in the movie because you know, they get they the come end. up into in the end it turns out they should never have been that way you know and they get like gunned down so i don't know were you up for seeing another movie about a you know, guy who starts off okay and then gets too big for his britches uh, i mean i'm a bit sort of tired of all this testosterone in movies I think the interesting thing will be because Scarface is probably Pacino's most iconic role. I don't know if it's his, it's not his best performance, but it's certainly yeah. one of the more memorable one of his ones. most over the top ones. Certainly. That's when his talent dies, pretty much. I think he's yeah. got shouted out of him in the seventies. He was great, and then Scarface and was like, is like, wait a second, I can just scream all the time. Oh! Yeah, oh ha, let's get the money. Do you reckon he'll get Denzel Washington to play Scarface? He works with him all the time. What, still doing that accent? Yeah, sort of slightly ropey Cuban accent or Mexican or whatever. Well, I guess the interesting thing for a modern version would be the relationship with Mexico and um, America now and the sort of globalization and, you know, I guess the drug, the cartels and stuff. I mean, it must have moved on in 30 years. I say this as somebody. I watched that one documentary, Cartel Land. (laughs) I'm an expert. Yeah, I hope it has some kind of political um, immigrant sting. That would be quite, that could be quite good. What if Trump's the... uh, the president and the walls already been started to build. I really and hope get, it gets in right. That would be the wall so good. Up. That would be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. They should um, get one of the cast of Saturday Night Live to play a kind of orange tanned guy with a like absurd um, blonde wig, <laughs> who's the president of the United States. Beautiful yeah. world. They're bringing in drugs. Actually, is he just describing Scarface? Do you reckon that was? Like, Donald Trump just saw Scarface. It's like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow, Mexican (laughs) immigration is a serious issue. I thought he was Cuban. Exactly, I just realised that. Yeah, he is, yeah. So I guess they... Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... 
If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Change of the mix, okay. Well, yeah. well from one testosterone field project to an estrogen field project. So, um, gender swap remakes are becoming a thing. And uh, it was recently announced that they were going to remake Splash, but with um, Channing Tatum as a merman. Merman! Rather than... Um, merman! <laughs> uh, what he's... Wait, who is it? It's... Um, what's her name? The actress who's in Splash as the mermaid. Oh, Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah, exactly, yeah. Um, and that sort of sounds like quite fun. I don't really know. I've never seen Splash, so I don't really know much about it. But I like the idea of it being Channing Tatum and Gillian Bell. You know, cause That's Gillian, awesome. Gillian Bell's awesome. And they, they had they obviously had great screen chemistry in 22, two 22 Jump Street. Yeah. So two scenes they had together. Anyway, and the next thing uh, to follow us from that is a remake of Ocean's Eleven, but it's all ladies this time, not all blokes, plus Julie Roberts and what? Catherine Cedar Jones. And this one is called Ocean's Eight. So there's a kind of, um, like maybe that's a comment on the, the pay gap or something. <laughs> like women, women don't get quite as many. If anything, there should be more women because they could afford more, right? It's like Ocean's 29. <laughs> it costs the same amount of money. <laughs> if, like, you know, the cast could be as, you know. That would be great. Yeah, but they've uh, they've announced some of their cast and it's looking quite starry. It's got Anne Hathaway in it, Rihanna, Helena Bonham Carter, Mindy Kaling, Sandra Bullock, and Kate Blanchett. Um, and also someone called Aquafina. Do you know who that is? No, but that's a cool name. Yeah, it's just one name, Aquafina. Oh, it says in this Deadline article that that is the hip-hop moniker of the Asian-American rapper and actress Nora Lum, who recently had a role in Neighbours 2. So there's a couple of musicians in the cast. Yeah, so what, cool. do, you, what do you make of this, of this idea? I think it, what I really want to see is that all the characters are playing versions of the original Ocean's characters, with Rihanna playing the Don Cheadle Cockney character. Oh, yeah, that would be so good. I hope she's playing at Cockney. Doing a really, really bad Cockney We'll be in Barney. Barney Rubble. Trouble. Yeah. It's only gonna noised up the mainframe. Noised it right up. <laughs> Old Don Cheadle. Yeah. Brilliant actor, but accent's not his forte, perhaps. Yes, clearly not. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think I, we mentioned this a while ago, I think, when discussing the Ben Wheatley wages of fear often remakes seem quite lazy and you know just eye-rolling but by just changing the gender instantly just turns into a different film you know i'd much rather see uh an ocean's 11 heist movie with women than just like another set of bros absolutely yeah yeah definitely and uh, those are all really cool starring actresses I, I think, wonder I how think, they bounce off each other. It's kind of intriguing. Well, the, because these um, female ensemble movies where they're just all kind of swaggering uh, on a mission thing, which is kind of what we saw in Ghostbusters, but those kind of movies are not particularly common. Yeah. So that rapport between actresses, we haven't seen that much on the screen before. So yeah. It is, yeah. So I think it will inevitably um, feel kind of fresh on, on that basis. And yeah, yeah right. I'm excited. And it's kind of similar to Scarface as well. And it's just a very, it's not like, it has to be a remake, you know, it's not like the classic, you remember the classic plot of Ocean's Eleven, robbing a <laughs> casino? No one can do that again. It's very much a sort of template where you can uh, do your own twist on it. 
it doesn't really have to be anything right except it has to have like kind of jazzy music cutting in all the time and like and like montages and it has it has to have those montages where people are walking up and down and the kind of camera splits you know and the bits of the screen move around on top of each other and like black bars appear and um and everything so like half the movie looks like a saw bass credit sequence i'm sort of relieved this is happening because this has been in the works for a while and be concerned that following ghostbusters not super runaway success some you know people yeah. will be like oh women don't work and you know it's true women it's, can't sell films exactly yeah so, if one film starring women doesn't like have a massive success then it's the fault of the entire gender exactly shows yeah. that they don't sell that was the sort of burden put upon ghostbusters a movie about just gut busting ghosts yeah probably the most well it, it it's obviously is becoming uh more of a thing and there's also the rumors of a um kind of suicide squad spin-off starring harley quinn which is like all women cool that was something that margot robbie was trying to get off the ground hey you would be better suicide squad came out if scarface remake was just like a woman instead yeah that'd be that's instantly more interesting you're right they should definitely <laughs> do that gangster movie with only women in it is would certainly be fresh yeah that's a ridiculously um female dominated world but i mean how sorry would... male dominated world can't but speak to many of the scenes in gangster movies are men busting balls but what when they don't have balls? What happens? What are they gonna bust? You're busting my, my vagina. Right. Yes. Sorry. They'll be saying that. Yeah. You're busting my vagina. <laughs> I'm just. Out. What are you complaining about? I'm just busting your vagina I'm just here. Busting your vagina here. Yeah. Get your fucking shine box. You just busted the wrong vagina, my friend. And then that's followed by cold-blooded murder. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask punchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off So Barry Lyndon is a Stanley Kubrick movie which has recently been restored in loving detail It's got more pixels and you can shake a cudgel at <laughs> What's an 18th century term? Musket A musket at and it's uh, playing at the BFI and also the ICA and uh, cinemas like that before, I guess, a super nice Blu-ray release or something similar. And uh, as I said, it's directed by Stanley Kubrick and written by him, adapted from the William Makepeace Thackeray novel, and he is the author of Vanity Fair. And Barry Lyndon is one of his lesser-known books, which are now is now famous purely because of this movie. Yeah. So the plot is about this uh, Irish guy called Redmond Barry who in modern terms it'd be sort of lower middle class and how he rises to become ensconced in the sort of upper echelons of society and then manages to screw it all up and become impoverished again so you've seen this film right yeah but i saw it i saw it many years previously so don't ask me to say any intelligent stuff about it because <laughs> i'm not i'm probably not gonna be able to i remember finding it very beautiful and good fun quite funny yeah that's uh those are both true that's well, it I've, I've got nothing left <laughs> That's, that's my whole review. Damn, you stole it. Your younger self was right. It's um, it was interesting to watch because it's I, this is the first time I've seen it. It's one of his lesser mentioned films. Um, with Kubrick, you can definitely separate his filmography into the later half where he had super control and everything was made in this sort of Kubrickian way, and the uh, early movies which are a bit more sort of standard studio fare. Though it's probably one of his lesser famous works, I think there's an argument to be made that it's one of his most influential films, especially in terms of it influencing other filmmakers. And I was watching it and I was reminded of a bunch of filmmakers I really love. And it was like the kind of proto version of all these movies I thought were great. And now I'm like, Oswald Trey, you stole this all from Barry Lyndon. The most famous thing about the film is probably 
the crazy technical achievement of it and it's a super beautiful movie as your younger self realized and yes he, he, he yes he was very insistent on that point <laughs> and uh it's kind of famous for being shot either with natural lights or with candlelight uh because it wanted to be authentic to the time and these scenes in the interior were shot with lenses developed by NASA to photograph the dark side of the moon. And Kubrick's like, I need those lenses. Brilliant. And it is a beautiful movie. And it is a um, very painterly film where it's referencing a lot of Hogarth and paintings of the time. And there's a sort of mixture of super authentic, realistic production values, but also incredibly composed uh, artistic flourishes in the way the shots are put together. And it reminded me a bit of that sort of cliche of when in movies where people look at a photo and then it flashbacks to the when the photo is being taken in the way that sort of establishing shots begin in these very composed way of like you know you could just put down a wall somewhere and then it sort of scene kind of breathes a bit from there and it kind of made for an interesting viewing experience and there's a richness to the film which is true of every Kubrick movie I guess but like it's a whole world and you really feel like ah, oh, that is you know you only see one Prussian army but you get the sense there's like 700 of them like roaming about you know you get this you know, yeah phrasing that right like you know you could pound the camera to the left and there'll be a whole other thing going on you know it feels very complete and you just get a little snapshot of a world yeah and it's also a movie you have to sort of sink into it's three hours long and it's quite languorous in pace but it is um lots of stuff is going on it's a very a plotted movie because it's one guy's life it yeah well lot. it's got that kind of 19th century novel style of just being a kind of adventure where he kind of goes from chapter to chapter and like meets colorful you know, characters yeah and... he meets colorful characters and then he gets kicked out and then he ends up in this new place and then like new characters introduced yeah and, and just kind of wanders along like that because before i went in the movie i didn't really know anything about it and i was a bit concerned uh that i might be like eating my vegetables and this movie would be like great but i wouldn't necessarily really get on board of it but i was super entertained throughout well it's it's it's, it's interesting because it's famous for having this incredibly composed quality than that kubrickian thing but the the source material is very light-hearted it's a comic novel about a ridiculous guy like he's a total yeah. rogue and yeah, like yeah. and a kind of a bastard and a liar and he just is constantly you know messing up and well that's what i find re- refreshing a a about farce. it because kubrick has his reputation of being like a sort of cold watchmaker director which i think is a bit unfounded and a bit like reductive if, like his movies are actually they're quite um warm and they're always to do with uh, humans and their behavior like that's like the latter half of his um filmography and with this one it's it, it is really funny and there's a very sort of wry narration which really undercuts the uh the what's going on and sort of like mocks the uh people in the farce it's like you're slightly above everybody in the film yeah, and I really liked that aspect of it, and I thought it was clever how narration is often used in a sort of lazy way. But what was clever about the narration was the way it would tell you what's going to happen or something was going to end badly, and it would take away the surprise but add the suspense. So it'd have like these idyllic scenes, as like this was the last summer they spent it or whatever, and it like changes how you view it, and that was the kind of interesting part of it. There's like kind of structural um, sort of experimental nature to it, and I really liked the character of. Uh, Barry, which is I find it funny that his name's Barry. I don't know. I just associate that with one of the Chuckle Brothers. You were just thinking of the guy in Four Lines, <laughs> Barry. But he, uh, yeah, he's like not a conventional hero. He's sort of like naive and driven by ambition and wealth. And uh, you can't help but sort of root for him. And he's like wears his heart on the sleeve. But he's also sort of a bit of an idiot. Yeah. And it feels very like human. His like rise and fall. Well, isn't he? He's quite like manipulative as well, isn't he? He's not. He's a bit of an anti-hero. Yeah. He's not a particularly great guy. 
But he's like, he's manipulative, but he's like just driven by his sort of passion. So when he's in love with somebody, he's like, I love you. Yeah, and I yeah. will kill someone to get your hand. And like, you know, when they're in the gallery, he's like, okay, I'm a bit bored now. But at the time, I really was committed to that plan. Yeah. And uh, I feel was clever about the plot because it's in these two halves, the rise and fall. Like the, the first half of the movie, there's a lot more going on. And, you know, he's in wars and enlisted and escapes and all this stuff's um, happening. And you think uh, he's like sort of, facing a series of challenging situations and sort of rises above it. And then in the second half, because it's all focused on the sort of domestic environment, uh, you realize that he's actually the architect of his own failures. And you look at the first half of the movie and you're actually like, actually, that was all down to you. You were fucking up from like page one, but it just seemed, you know, the movie plays a sort of clever trick on me. And uh, yeah, it really reminded me of um, Lars von Trier, Martin Scorsese movies and Wes Anderson. And I Googled that and it turned out it was like all those filmmakers' favorite movie or like win their top 10. And it's similar to Wes Anderson films and the protagonist is like a sort of self-obsessed mm, guy. That's true, yeah. It's very Wes Anderson-y very character. Very proto-Wes Anderson character, yeah. And it's a bit like um, Lars von Trier in that fate is not only cruel, but sort of ironic. Mm. There's sort of dark humor of it. There's like a brilliant dual scene where like everything goes wrong. And like, it's just like this really painful, almost Chris Morris-like humor. Yeah, which I, yeah I remember there being. I remember the jewel, the jewel scene being great. Uh, it was really brilliant. And the Scorsese in comparison, I always thought that Goodfellas, the sort of genius of it was dramatizing the feeling of a book. But now I'm thinking maybe Barry Lyndon did it first because it's like a book in that there's sort of individual sequences which are sort of self-contained and then it sort of skips past other events quite quickly. And that is an incredibly hard thing to pull off. And I've always like admired Goodfellas as being like the first movie that sort of took a book experience and made it into a cinema experience. And I'm like, Barry Lyndon did it like 15 years before. So I was like, genius. I feel like when discussing Kubrick and just sort of talking about it's good, it, you know, it's sort of like Kubrick is like a sort of byword for good almost. Yeah. It's like he's probably the most celebrated director. But I think he's almost like so celebrated as like a backlash of <laughs> he's not really that great. No, yeah. but I think he is, though. Hmm. He is a genius. I think one of the reasons why he's so celebrated and it's fully on show and Barry Lyndon is that he makes films which you have to watch differently to how you usually watch films. And it's not just that what he's doing is different, but he's like, he changes the film's relationship with the audience. And you watch it, like, the way it's structured, the way it's put together is completely different to how you usually experience, like, a period drama. Yeah. And as such, you don't know... I think that's why he's sort of divisive and like why his films would often met with hostility is because you don't know quite how to process it when you watch it. And so I saw this movie a week ago and I sort of been thinking about it ever since and I don't really know if I have any sort of strong conclusions, but I'm pretty sure it's a masterpiece and uh, come back to me in a year and I'll articulate a brilliant reason why. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that it's a nice um, movie to watch as part of Kubrick's canon because, uh, he doesn't have very many comedies other than Doctor Strange Dove. It's a famous one. But uh, there's a lot of humor in it. So it's a good one to watch because you can tick off, you know, I watched this uh, famous masterpiece, <laughs> but it's also will be fun because it's like yeah, it's something to watch and very well, like performances are great. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a romp, you know, relatively slow paced romp, but a romp nonetheless. Well, 
yeah, it's it's slow, but it's well paced. Like those two aren't mutually exclusive. No, like it sets in like you know, it does not like it begins really quickly, and then just like drags out for the next you know two hour and a half hours. It starts at a pace and keeps it up. Yeah, and, and it's it's full is, of events. Yeah, stuff yeah. happens. And I find my final point would be like one of the reasons why it's so much fun is that it's so mannered, and society was so ridiculous, and all like these dandies and uh, you know ridiculous costumes and what have you. But then they're all whack like kids, and there's something very satisfying about watching like you know people brawl, but like in ridiculous costumes in a ridiculous room, and it's like you know these people aren't that civilized. Yeah, it just undercuts it all. Yeah, I think that's part of Thackeray as well. That's quite translated, translated quite well. Well, good job, Kubrick. Good job. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The night is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. So from one incredibly confident one man's vision realized on the screen with every single department kicking out of the park working in perfect harmony <laughs> to another <laughs> to another you can also say that about say so danny and i went to see suicide squad earlier this week it has had a rather rocky journey to the screen to say the least we've we talked a little bit about the uh, history of this movie before in the podcast but um try to recap it very rapidly so it's the um the third film in what is um uh, being built as dc's new cinematic universe which they decided had started with man of steel and then carried on with batman v superman and now suicide squad and they announced that this movie's been in the works for quite a long time directed by david Ayer, who's the director of end of watch and the writer of training day he also directed a tank movie fury with brad pitt in it and he is obviously known from those previous movies as a rather gritty, real director about kind of um, damaged men bonding. Um, yeah. And so uh, Suicide Squad, which is a relatively lesser known property about a bunch of supervillains being sent on crazy dangerous missions by the government who have imprisoned them um, in a kind of dirty dozen-esque way, seemed like a, uh, you know, he seemed like a good fit for it because he would bring that kind of like... Uh, guys on a mission like in a, in tough sure. scenarios a bit of like real psychology to the crazy characters type of thing that was obviously the intention and the first trailer that came out of suicide squad um had one of those uh, popular trailer tropes of modern day um thing which is a kind of tinkly piano breathy voiced um uh, chanteurs cover of another song uh, which lent it a very atmospheric kind of dark creepy edge and everyone was like, ooh, what is this crazy movie? Um, and then subsequently they released a trailer which was cut to Bohemian Rhapsody and yeah. had a very different tone and was like more jokey. And everyone loved it. And and then it went under... Sorry. Well, at the same time, uh, Deadpool came out and made a ridiculous amount of money um, on a property which no one had heard of and which um, didn't uh, was made on quite a relatively low budget for a blockbuster. And that was very, very irreverent. And uh, Batman v Superman came out and made a bunch of money, but didn't get a very good reception. And one of the big criticisms of it that it was that it was too gloomy and murky and miserable. So all of the uh, DC executives were in a massive flap and a tears about this, obviously. 
And they decided that um, the tone of Suicide Squad had to be changed. They ordered massive reshoots and freaked out over the edits and did a bunch of different editing. So we knew before going into it that um, it was a movie that had been quite drastically tinkered with. Um, and that it obviously had taken something that was originally supposed to be quite dark and eerie and turned to something that was supposed to be like much more lighthearted and had more kind of gags and quips and stuff. But I don't think we were quite prepared for how confused the movie turned out to be. So, yeah. but anyway, that's I'm getting well, ahead of myself maybe a we'll we'll <laughs> we'll touch the surface of the confusion by you trying to explain the plot to me. Sure. Okay. <laughs> let me let me I'll do my best. So. Um, uh, Violet Davis, who's the best thing in the movie, she plays a government badass, um, secret services kind of um, G-man kind of character called Amanda Waller, and she convinces her superiors to put together something called Task Force X, which is basically that in a post-Superman world, the dangers that exist um, can no longer be contended with purely by regular um, soldier grunts, and they need a team of crazy, what they call meta-humans, which just, just means people with superpowers, um, to take them on. And and she's locked up a bunch of these people in prison, and she wants to sort of enroll them into her um, uh, scheme to have them sent out on dangerous missions. And uh, this includes Will Smith, the character called Deadshot. He's like a hitman. And Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, who's the Joker's girlfriend, um, and uh, a bunch of other people who are not very important. And Jared Leto as the Joker um, also crops up. Very heavily featured in the marketing, but not particularly heavily featured in the movie. (laughs) And they end up going on a mission which is basically related to a problem created by Amanda Waller making the Suicide Squad in the first place, which is like quite strange. Anyway, here is a clip of (laughs) Viola Davis giving the instructions for what the mission is going to consist of to the Suicide Squad. Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. There's an event in Midway City. I want you to enter the city, rescue HVT-1, and get them to safety. I'm sorry, uh, for those of us who don't speak good guy, what is HVT-1? The only person that matters in the city, the one person you can't kill. Complete the mission, you get time off your prison sentence. Fail the mission, you die. Anything happens to Colonel Flagg, I'll kill every single one of you. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. There's your pep talk. So that's it? What, we some kind of suicide squad? I'll notify you next to Ken. Brilliant. Wow. Wow. So, first of all, I want to pay tribute to Viola Davis because... She has the most character of anyone in the movie and incredible amount of presence and is also, all she does is say exposition. So that is extra amazing. Pretty much every single line she has is like, she's just explaining who the characters are, what they do, or like why the plot has to go from A to B or whatever. And none of it makes any sense. But she brings so much... um, Steeliness. Steeliness, exactly, yeah, and presence to that role. Um, and it's just very cool. And I think just as in the comics, it's refreshing to have this character of a not young or like glamorous uh, woman and uh, black as well. It's like quite a progressive character. Yeah. Sure. And she doesn't take any shit. Um, and she never feels like a cliche. And she's the most refreshing element in the movie. And I kind of wanted her to be in it more than she was in. And also to be able to say stuff that wasn't just like exposition. But yeah, she's really, she's really excellent. And she's, She's so um, driven that it feels like she's desperately trying to keep the film together at all times. 
but it's impossible. Yeah, it's a total fucking mess. It's a total <laughs> mess. I would describe the film as ugly in mm. like a lot of ways. Yeah. Like the plotting is all over the place. I don't know if there was a sort of gloomier David Eyre version and like his version was, you know, great and then it's just been fucked to death by <laughs> a thousand editors. Yeah. But it's just so incoherent. Characters are introduced multiple times and you're not really sure what the plot is and it just treads water and then at the end things explode and there's a lot of characters set up and then there's a sort of payoff but the payoffs aren't set up. It's yeah. just a total disaster. It's also quite an ugly looking movie in that it's very rainy and dark and there was these action sequences and like what's going on you, you know really it was like you it was kind so of dark that it was actually hard to tell what was and also they're fighting a bunch of like faceless zombies and it's really like what the like you can't really see what's happening and the um the other part of the movie that's ugly sam is its soul is its soul <laughs> in that it's got this um well all the the previous dc movies are zach snyder who's a similar kind of man director but with him, the female characters were just sort of damsels in distress or mothers. Yeah. And But in this one, they're very objectified. And there's yeah. a very leery... Um, it's very lecherous Lecherous film. thing. And Cara Delevingne, who is a sort of uh, possessed enchantress for most of the movie, <laughs> has to like, operate her giant portal of death by just sort of gyrating in a, in a bikini. And it's like, who is this movie for? It's yeah, like, why did they? And it's, Basically, yeah. every female character except for Viola Davis... Yeah. is either is like a kind of sexy woman who is just having her ass slapped or being like leered at or you know there's something there's always yeah, something yeah. um there's a particularly uncomfortable scene where jared leto kind of pimps out harley quinn oh to God. a gangster in a in a club and it's so <laughs> weird it's it's really uncomfortable on its own terms and it's also such an odd thing for the joker to be doing like they've turned him um from that kind of crazy terrifying force of nature that he is in um the dark knight is heath ledger's version to a sort of um he just is like a normal street gangster but one with like who's very flamboyant and yeah. very concerned with his own personal image and he doesn't really get to do very much in the film except kind of stagger around and sort of overact on every line as much as possible yeah. but it's a very strange and misguided um portrayal absolutely and there's also i mean there's a certain broadness of the characters which are just evident in the comic books. Like, there's this, this Australian guy called Captain Boomerang, and, you know, there's only... Maybe they shouldn't have decided to put that character in the movie. But there's, yeah, there's an idea. Australian guy called Captain Boomerang. There's a Japanese Mex character called Katana. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a samurai sword. There's a Spanish guy. Or is he Mexican? He's Mexican, Mexican guy. Yeah. He's, he's covered in tattoos, skull tattoos, and he's literally called El Diablo. <laughs> I didn't know he was called El Diablo before I saw the film, and I was like, yeah. oh my god. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just... And every sentence he says ends with the word Holmes or essay. Hey, or... man, you know... Hey, man. Oh, I make fire to... with my hands, man. Don't do that no more, man. You can't get me to do that. Yeah. It's very strange. I think my feeling from watching it is that David Ayer... The, probably the original David Ayer cut of the movie, I don't think was a good movie. Because there's some problems that are clear from just the conception of the film. I think that like that lecherous quality to it is obviously like that's, that would have been part of the movie anyway. Yeah. And I think you can kind of piece together the movie that it was originally going to be, which is a film where like the first half of the movie is basically setting up all these characters and having these different flashbacks and like explaining who they are and stuff, which sounds like I can imagine how it would be a bit slow and like meandering and dull. And then in the second half, they are um, sent on a mystery mission and then it's kind of revealed what's going on but like the the 
all of that stuff has problems anyway. But what they've done instead is um, chop it all up, put a bunch of incredibly broad kind of needle drops that are ridiculously expensive. The music cues that kick in, like every five fucking seconds in case you're ever getting yeah, bored. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's a very, very jarring experience to watch. It looks like a remix. And um, it doesn't obey the normal cinematic rules of like the pacing of scenes or the logic of the storytelling. And so as you're watching it, it is like, it's heavily jarring to watch because it's off. And it reminded me the most of watching Fantastic Four, um, which is another movie where you got the sense watching it that it's been released into cinemas like as a mistake, you know? <laughs> you can tell that this deadline was looming and that they were just like, fuck it, we just got to put it out there. Just put it in. I just don't care. I can't think about this anymore. Just like release the film that way. Yeah. And you're watching something which is flawed. Like there's a, it doesn't quite work. It's a, bit, it's a faulty product. And in Fantastic Four... It was that was a bit more like directly embarrassing because it was looked so cheap and like rushed at the end. The end made no sense. And this film looks expensive and the CGI is like really, really excellent throughout. So it doesn't have that sense. But it is still a bit cringe inducing because you don't feel at any moment like you're watching characters. You only ever feel like you're watching a bunch of people trying to make something work that doesn't work. Yeah, I think the actors sort of leave their dignity. They're all trying to make it work. They're all doing their best. I mean, yeah, the actors, like, they definitely do leave with their dignity, but like, you feel a lot of pity for them. I felt very sorry for the women. Very, very sorry for the women, yeah. Will Smith uh, just does his thing. He's very good at it. And it's been a while since he's been in a supporting role. And it seems like that's the best place for his, you know, all he wants to do in a movie is like deliver badass lines yeah. and shoot people and be cool. But for, a, you know, if he's the lead, that can be a bit boring. But if he's a supporting character, it's like, fine, just someone with a bit of energy to pep up this gloomy. Yeah, and a bit of a effect. movie star quality, exactly. which is so desperately needs. You kind of cling to Will Smith in this movie like a drowning man, like uh, <laughs> to, a, to a life raft, you know. Yeah. Where every time he's on screen, you're like, at least this guy's a professional. He knows what he's doing. He's been in movies before. It's okay. You know, he'll he'll take us through this. Absolutely. And Margot Robbie also does her best. Margot she's Robbie. She's a movie star. She's great. I really like Margot Robbie. And she's been so mistreated by Hollywood. I, th- I feel like from that creepy profile of her in um, whatever that was, The Hollywood Reporter yeah, or yeah. Summer Weekly or whatever, um, to just like the movies she's been in. And she's always sort of trying to rise above her like quite shitty objectifying roles. And this character of Harley Quinn, I hope they make this movie where it's like Harley Quinn and her evil babes or whatever it is, because I feel like that will give them a bit more opportunity to do stuff. Whereas her performance has been quite praised in this film, but she's constantly fighting against the script and watch the stuff that she's given to do. Yeah. But the one actor who I think is terrible is Jared Leto. Jared Leto is really bad. He's bad. Yeah. I don't, like, and like, there's a lot of I painful. Think, Every scene with him in it was painful. There's a bit of baggage going to the movie because he'd been sending people like use condoms and dead pigs and stuff. It's like your performance better be fucking good, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you've been a real dick on set. Yeah, and you watch it like, oh god, it's so indulgent and like hammy and. I mean, he's partly in this, this conception of a sort of like he's just a the sort conception of, of character pimp. is really strange. He's like he looks like Marilyn Manson, like dressed as a juggalo. But it's basically it's like. You know, he just sort of talks in a strange voice and he's got weird hair and like that's it. It's so superficial. Yeah. I guess that may be true of the whole movie. Posy. Yeah. Um, and it's also particularly hilarious hearing about all the pranks he played on his co-stars when he doesn't share a scene with any of them. Yeah. He's got some scenes with uh, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. As, like, she's his girlfriend. Well, you can remember. Like, why are you selling? Why are you sending a used condom to Will Smith for? You don't. You never on screen with him. 
<laughs> you could literally cut the joke out of the movie and it would uh, wouldn't affect anything. Wouldn't affect anything. I've been reading <laughs> up afterwards about how apparently they cut they cut a bunch of his scenes. Jared's probably pissed off. Yeah. I think originally he had a bigger role to play and he turned up like at the climax of the movie and there was more stuff going on. And the arc with him and Harley Quinn was quite different. It sounded better. It sounded a bit more interesting. Um yeah, don't go see this film. Don't go see- <laughs> well, you know, see it if you're curious to see like how crazy it is because it's it just is like yeah, it's a it's a disaster zone. I think a more fitting title would be clusterfuck. Clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a total. It is a total clusterfuck. But yeah, so see see it, see it for that reason. You can see, see it, it to laugh at it. Yeah, go with, go with people and maybe drink. Yeah, when <laughs> we went it. to see it, the cinema was really full. And we we're all sitting separately, and it was a bit of a shame. I don't know. It feels like everything was bad. Like David Ayer's original movie is probably not going to be that great, and everything that they did to change it made it worse. So yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a film so fucked with by the studio so disastrously. Because <laughs> because at least Fantastic Four, it kind of seemed like they wouldn't have had a movie without the studio fucking with it. Um, whereas with this, it's like yeah, it's crazy. That shit crazy. That shit crazy. It's crazy, Holmes. Oh man, crazy. Oh man, it's so crazy. I say. El Diablo. El Diablo. I used to burn people, man. No, now, I don't do that. No, I don't burn people no more, man. Why am I in the team if I don't Why do the I thing? <laughs> Why they hired me to be on this team, man? I don't burn things no more. Oh, okay, I guess I'll burn some things. That's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Omelette, omelette, wish the outfit was my dad. Tiny hair, fancy watch, brain located in my crotch. I'm a bloke, I'm a bloke, tell ironic sexist jokes. Like my lager, extra strength, keep my cubes a perfect length. So, more testosterone based news. They're currently wrapping Fast and Furious 8, and uh, The Rock isn't happy. He had a falling out with Vin. Well, that's the rumor, right? That it was Vin Diesel. Is that it's, confirmed? That's that it was been Vin? sort of confirmed by a few sources. He, that's interesting. The other a few days ago, he posted to his Facebook followers. He's got a big online following about how he's really enjoying the process and he loves the movies. But somebody's pissing him off on set, and it's since transpired that it was uh, Vin yeah. because they're both producers on the movie, and you know they've obviously had some sort of creative differences. I think Vin's like, I should be more badass in this part of the movie, and Rock's like, no, I'm the more badass My thighs one. should be thicker in this section of the film, and the Rock's like, no, my thighs are the thickest. No, my thighs are the thickest! <laughs> I think I should eat more chicken every day than you. No, I eat the most chicken! Exactly. Yeah. It's a bit like when you check your Facebook and someone um, who you don't speak to anymore has posted a status like, some people just need to back off because they don't get it, or whatever. <laughs> It's like that, but in kind of public social media form. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. You know what's kind of surprising about it is that given how much testosterone is on that set, there hasn't been some falling out already. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's funny about this is that Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson both have reputations. They're both big users of social media. They have very big followings. And they both sort of have reputations as lovable, cuddly, uh, gentle giants. Yeah. You know, Vin Diesel is very positive. And so is Dwayne. Well, his message was sort of couched and all these sort of like, I love these people. I love this. Yeah. And the movie's going to be great. I'm just a little annoyed, as you know, mm. there's like a man who'd been to anger management or something. Right. Yeah. Maybe if you're so strong, you could kill someone very easily. You just have to be extra careful about your mood. You've got to remain positive because they, you're going to accidentally murder someone. They both killed, I think. They it must have killed. killed. They must have, it must have been a kind of of mice and men scenario at some point. Um. Anyway, this news... Um, was especially resonant for me, Sam, because Why? 
I um, was on Facebook and I noticed that you posted something. No, you've been reading my posts. Yeah, you posted this and I want to read it out because I want to see your reaction Uh-oh. to hearing your words back at you. I didn't think you'd read my post. This is my final day of preparing for the next Filmjet episode. There's no other podcast that gets my blood boiling more than this one. An incredible hardworking crew, SoundCloud Pro has been a great partner as well. The female producer is always amazing and I love her. The male collaborators, however, are a different story. One of us is a stand-up man and a true professional. The other isn't. That one is too chicken shit to do anything about it anyway. Candy ass. When you listen to the next podcast and it seems like I'm not being ironically combative in some of the pre-review banter and my blood is legit boiling, you're right. Bottom line is, it'll play great for the show and it fits the film reviewer persona that's embedded in my DNA extremely well. The producer in me is happy about this part. Final week on Film Chat and I will finish strong. Hashtag Iceman Cometh. Hashtag Film Chat. Hashtag Zero Tolerance for Candy Asses. <laughs> Can't help but take that personally, Sam. Why um, would you call me a candy ass? I wasn't talking about you, though. There's a few other male collaborators on the film in film chats world. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, for example, John, my brother. He sometimes helps out. Is he a cat? You think John's a candy I'm ass? I'm not saying that I'm talking about him, but I'm just meaning he's also, you know, there's him as well. There's, like, Dougal McQueen. He writes in a lot. There's saying, James Andrews. You're saying Dougal's a candy ass? Well, you know, the reason that I phrased that in such an anonymous way is I didn't really want to be caught up on it. I was just venting, man. Well, I thought you were venting at me. And I was like, you got something to say. Yeah. Say it in my face. All right. Well, I did mean you, actually. I was just trying to cover myself a second ago. You think I have a candy ass? Yes, you, I think so. Sometimes. My ass is rock hard. Look, Unless you meant like a hard candy, in which case, great description. Brighton rock. No. Actually, uh, reading this back... <laughs> Well, isn't it good if your ass is made of candy? That seems like a positive thing, I think. Even though I hashtagged it zero taunts for candy asses. It means that I just want to kiss your ass because it's delicious. <laughs> well, I'm placated. <laughs> it's, me, it's my way of, of, of saying that I'm a kiss ass. Because you got that sweet candy ass. Instead of calling yourself a kiss ass, you call everyone else a candy ass. You got that candy ass. Well... No, yeah. I feel a fool for being so combative towards you. Yeah, sorry. Look, listen, the, re- the reason I'm so zen normally on the podcast is because in social media form, I'm quite angry. And I'm always posting aggressive, um, non-direct you know, statuses. And I do a lot of subtweeting as well. Um, and on Bieber, I'm quite furious a lot of the time. <laughs> quite furious character. <laughs> You're furious on Bieber. You're furious. Yeah. But that's just the way I let off steam. We leave this podcast... How we started. Firm friends. Firm friends. Guys, have a great week. Remember to uh, rate us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Um, And just rate us. Rate us. Remember to rate us. Like us on Facebook. Share us on Twitter. And um, yeah. Add add us on Bebo. Order our um, line of uh, Chinese takeaway food that we're launching. Also, quick shout out. We have got another mostly ungoogable quiz on August the 24th Good at point. the social as a Wednesday it's going to be great I already started putting a few questions together yeah let's just say they're the best questions anyone's ever written yes I agree and uh, yeah you should come well remembered August 24th at the social be there be there or be Googleable. everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Boom. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I don't know why I said boom.